What is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Critics Corner podcast. I am William Locke, and I'm joined by the very busy Armand Amini today. Armand, thanks for joining me here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I had the pleasure of seeing uh, Mr. William Locke Esquire last weekend. Uh, made a trip down to Boston with uh, with avid listener and uh, big fan of the show, Liv. And um, it was a great time. I really appreciated y'all coming down and, and meeting some of the, the squad out here. Um, but, but yeah, uh, I was excited to do this. You're right. I'm struggling with my time right now, but it's the NBA trade deadline and a lot of big moves happening. And I definitely wanted to talk to you about this stuff because we haven't had a chance to yet. So very excited for today. Yeah. Fun weekend out in Boston last week. Uh, It was very cold, uh, sleet, icy, snowy, but we made it, you know, we made do. Uh, It was a lot of fun getting to see the city for the first time. Unfortunately, we weren't able to watch any basketball as the Celtics were out of town. Bruins were on all-star break. So rare. It was one of the rare times where we go on a trip and don't watch any sports games live. I feel like every time we go on a trip, we at least go to one game. Nonetheless, still a lot of fun. Um, And yeah, you're right. We, we just had to do a trade deadline podcast because as usual, the NBA trade line trade deadline delivered, just another another year of intrigue. Um, a lot of deals where you're you know you're just left scratching your head. A lot of deals that were you know talked about uh, for months heading up to the deadline. And I think we gotta we just have to start with the the Phoenix or the Phoenix the Philadelphia and Brooklyn trade that sends Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond a 2022 and 2027 first round pick to Brooklyn in exchange for James Harden, the blockbuster deal of the deadline, a deal that people were expecting. There was a lot of ramp up, I guess you could say heading into the trade deadline with this deal, James Harden, just blatantly not trying in it in games. Uh, the report from Windhorse saying that he's forcing his way out. Then you had Woj saying, no, he's staying. There's no talk from between Brooklyn and Philly. Like it was almost a civil war uh, between the two ESPN reporters. So there was, it was a very talked about deal um, heading into the week. Finally happened on trade deadline day, about three hours before the deadline. Armand, what are your, what were your initial thoughts and what are your thoughts now on, on this deal? Um, I thought it was hilarious that there's a report like a day before um, James Harden does not want to say that he wants out of the second city and the second franchise in, in like within a year. Um, and I was like, the very, like <laughs> the fact that you reported that he is asking out, like by saying that, that doesn't change that fact. It shows like some kind of comedic self-awareness, but besides that, like (laughs) by virtue of saying, yeah, I like, I don't want to say it because this, this, and this, like you're saying you You are saying it publicly and you know, it's going to get out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was hilarious, but kind of knew it it was going to happen after Steve Nash said Harden's not going anywhere. That's the classic thing. It's like, it's like the vote 
of confidence. That's really the vote of no confidence. Mm-hmm. By a GM for a coach, like when a coach is just absolutely, I don't know, on a huge losing streak, underperforming, the GM will be asked, like, what about the coach? They're like, we're in full support. Or what about, do you back the manager? And it's yeah. like, definitely not. Like Ole, before he got fired, got a similar sort of vote of confidence as well. So, yeah, I guess um, the trade overall, uh, I think both teams, the classic thing is both teams get better, like that's said. Um, the reason is Simmons wasn't playing and the Nets keeping Harden unhappy. He's going to be a shell of himself. And you're better off with Simmons, Seth, Drummond, and a couple of picks that you can turn into something later down the line. I really like the fact that the Nets kept those two picks and didn't try to leverage that with something else to maybe get like a Jeremy Grant. They could have, they would have been better in the moment. Um, But the reason I like that is next year, they have some flexibility. The Kyrie situation is going to be very interesting. Um, I don't know. They're not going to make adjustments. I don't think the rest of the year, including the playoffs that would allow Kyrie to play full time, including home games um, with the Nets. But what could be interesting is if Kyrie shows out in the playoffs, they still don't want to ship. Um, they could package like a couple firsts with Kyrie and try to get one of Dame or Beal or like there might be some players available uh, next year, maybe a sign-in trade for a few of the guys that will be available in free agency. So I like that they kept those picks because it gives them flexibility for the future. I really like this trade for Brooklyn overall. I think they won this trade. Simmons has not played in a year, but um, you get exactly what you need in terms of like all we've been talking about with the Nets when they've been fully healthy is how you have one ball, you have Harden, you have Kyrie, you have KD, like, how are you going to be able to do this? Well, Simmons doesn't (laughs) demand the ball. He's better as an on ball distributor and playmaker, but he doesn't need to put up shots. Kyrie could be a secondary playmaker um, and still be able to play on ball a decent amount. You could have Ben Simmons as a five playing the Draymond role, as some people have talked about and just being like a point center um distributor a la like Nikola Jokic a la Draymond Green or a point forward that just doesn't put up a ton of shots you don't need Simmons to be what he was uh or what he needed to be in Philly which is like you don't need him to be a closer because you can't really go to bigs to close or at least you couldn't a couple years ago maybe you can with Jojo and Jokic now but um oh oh yeah I see what you mean never mind yeah yeah yeah. maybe you can do that now but um, I think, yeah, Simmons doesn't need to be your closer. He doesn't need to be making a bunch of shots. Literally, all you need him to do is get eight to ten assists a game, six to eight rebounds, get some easy points at the basket, um, maybe improve his shot a little bit so he's respectable between six to eight, but really just finish like he did before uh, last year's playoffs and – I don't know. You have a great distributor, a top five defender, and a solid finisher at the rim with great size. That's awesome. Then they had shooting. The Nets have been lacking, like off-ball shooters. Seth Curry has been one of the greatest shooters in the league this season. So that's obviously big. 
they don't really have a lot of bigs and Andre Drummond gives them more size. And then you get a couple first round picks. I, I love it. Harden's aging. He's 33. Like yeah. this guy, what you'd probably have to do is give him a $280 million extension if you want to keep him. And would that turn the worst contract in the league? Some people, mm-hmm. Yeah. Some people say it might because even with the cap bump that will happen because of the new TV deal um, with the NBA, like, $63 million in his last year at 38 years old is an absurd number. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're doing the best thing by keeping the 25, 26-year-old star and having more flexibility with picks, adding a shooter. In terms of Philly, Philly didn't really have the option of having Ben Simmons. He was not going to come back this year. Like even post-trade deadline, in my opinion, he wasn't coming back. Simmons. Um, yeah, it was just an asset they had, but they basically swap Seth Curry for James Harden. And I don't think anybody, as down as you are on James Harden, I don't think you think that's a downgrade from Seth Curry. Like anybody, anybody doesn't think that. So uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that does. But I think Harden and Embiid, some people have said maybe they're the best combo in the league. I think Harden at his best – with JoJo is probably the best duo in the league right now. Um, I like the Paul Millsap thing. Like they just add a vet. He's not going to do much at his age, but they add somebody that can do something. They still got Thibel. They got Tobias. They got Maxi. I like that team. I like at least their starting lineup. They do not have a ton of depth. You're going to be looking to play Corkmaz and Danny Green 18 to 24 minutes in the playoffs. And maybe DG can hit that cork miles at like 20 minutes a game is not going to be great. So look for them to add some buyout guys uh, that can be solid wing contributors. And yeah, I guess I see the Nets now as having, I guess this gives them more stability because the Harding thing could have been really bad, but there's still the wild card of Kyrie. We don't really know what's going to happen. Um, with how much he contributes this year. And yeah, who knows if he shuts things down. KD's coming back in four weeks. We don't know what he's going to be. So yeah, we got to figure out um, (laughs) what that team's going to look like. I still think they're better than they were before this trade. And Philly um, just increased their ceiling significantly. But now there's pressure because... If they don't win in the next two to three years, I highly doubt James Harden is going to be as good of a player at 35, 36 as he is now. So JoJo's been performing ridiculously well, basically is the only star on his team. Let's see how he does where he has to share the spotlight with somebody else and with this new sort of added pressure of being the best duo in the league with hopes, legitimate hopes of a title. I'm interested to see how they respond. What did you think, William, about the move, like the progression of the move? Because there are a lot of moving parts, a lot of rumors going in. Did you think this was going to happen? Yeah. And, so yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, that was that was good. That was a long monologue. Um, let, let's get, <laughs> we can get into the discussion now. I'll give my thoughts. Um, but no, we definitely needed your opinion. Um, I would say objectively on paper, this deal makes both teams better. 
Philly had to make a deal, like you said. They had been, uh, Ben Simmons, a dis- air quotes, distress asset. But when you really look at it, if you if you were explaining this Ben Simmons and why he wasn't playing to somebody that doesn't watch basketball, you basically say, yeah, Ben Simmons hasn't played since June because he played bad in the playoffs and his coach said that he might not be the point guard of the future. That that was basically the whole reason he held out of Philly um, and volunteer. So objectively, Philly gets better with Harden and Brooklyn, I think, gets better with taking away Harden, taking away all the shots that he gets and redistributing them to, you know, Durant, Curry, Joe Harris, if he ever comes back, Kyrie, right? So objectively, yes, on paper, they get better. When you really look at it, Brooklyn's getting a guy that voluntarily withheld from $20 million, has never gotten better any year of his NBA career, even since LSU, right? He hasn't improved on the things that he obviously needs to improve on. We're not sure if he loves the game of basketball. I'm sure he'll be excited to play in Brooklyn, but he's still going to need a few weeks to ramp up to even play. This Brooklyn team's horrible right now. They're in the eighth spot. They're going to be in the play-in, right? You got Kyrie Irving, who's a great player, yes, but he only plays half the games. And I don't think that New York City is going to lift the vaccine mandate at any time. So we're looking at a part-time player with a guy that might like basketball. We're not quite sure. And then Kevin Durant, who's going to be out for, like you said, maybe another month or so. And we don't know what he's going to look like when he gets back because he is an aging superstar. But in the first part of the season, when they basically needed to, you know, you he, Kevin Durant was their team. Um, he was he was amazing. He was the, probably the best player in the league. But we don't we don't know what version of Katie we're going to get back when he, when he gets back. So I don't really know how to feel about this Brooklyn team heading into the playoffs. I don't think like I think this trade is going to be overblown. It's it's obviously the biggest deal from the deadline. So it's going to get the most media attention, but I don't think either, either of these teams are going to win a title this season. You know, James Harden's averaging a career low 22 points per game outside of his first three seasons um, in Oklahoma city, where he was basically a six man. He's shooting 41% from the field, 33% from three, which is a career low. We don't know what version of Philly James Harden's going to get. And also add in the fact that I just think James Harden if I'm a GM, I don't really want that kind of guy on my team. Uh, the attitude that he brings to the game, the the fact that he's forced himself out of two situations in the past two seasons where if you can't get it, and I know he was injured in the playoffs, but I mean, if you can't get it done with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, I mean, what, are, what? how does the situation get any better than that? Right. So it, it, I, I, Philly had to make this deal. So they're obviously getting better from having a guy that's not playing. And obviously Embiid's having an MVP type season. So you had to make this deal this year because you just don't know with his health and everything and his injury history. So it's weird because both teams got better, but I don't love the fit. Like I don't love Harden or Durant as players moving forward. So it's an interesting situation. You don't like Harden or Durant or Harden or sorry Simmons. Harden or Simmons? Not yeah, no. I obviously I like Durant, but there's okay. still a lot of question marks. I guess you could say. Definitely, yeah, absolutely. I I found it interesting how you focused on <laughs> a lot of the negatives. I think that was a good balance between us there. Um, yeah, yeah. It, there was a risk if they didn't make this trade, the Nets would not make the playoffs. Because Katie out another four weeks, if that turns to six and eight. And all the pressures on him coming back from injury, 
You have Kyrie only showing up to half the games. Mm-hmm. You have Aldridge, who's a shell of himself, and Griffith. Like, you just don't have enough firepower on that team to win games in an Eastern Conference that's more competitive than we can remember. Like, right. there are five to six legitimate contenders, and I would say four legitimate contenders in the East. And it's – uh, yeah. So, sorry, my friend just uh, walked in. All good. Um, like, yeah, if you look at the East, I'm, I'm still picking Milwaukee over in a seven-game series, probably over both of these teams. Yep. Miami, who I love in a postseason setting, I think that I would definitely take them over Brooklyn. Philly, I think it would be a great series. Um, Chicago, they still got all those injuries. I, I think I would take Philly over Chicago right now. And then who's who's your other team out, out East? Oh, Cleveland? I mean – while Cleveland's, you know, kind of the darlings of the season, I, I don't think they're necessarily going to make a deep postseason run or anything. And we'll get in them, get to them a little bit later in the podcast. So, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So, yeah, I guess the talk about the Heat, we talk about the Sixers, talk about the Bucks, the Nets, we talk about if they were healthy. And then, really, who's been a surprise are the Raptors. Yep. Pascal has been playing the best he's ever played in his career these past couple months. Van Vliet's an all-star for the first time, well-deserved. You have a rookie of the year candidate, Scotty Barnes. You have OG, who's taken a further step this season. Um, Yeah, you have a lot of length, great defensive team, at least on paper. And they're on a run right now. Um, So, Yeah, that's not a team I want to play in, in the playoffs. And I really think it comes down to Siakam kind of having a resurgence over the past few weeks. He's been incredible. Absolutely. And then you got the Bulls. So that's what I'm thinking when I'm saying, like, we got five, maybe even six teams out in the East that could legitimately, like, win the conference um, if things fell a certain way. The East is – yeah, the East is loaded this year. It's going to be an absolute gauntlet just to make the NBA Finals. So I think overall, you know, a winner of this trade deadline would be just the top teams in the Western Conference. Whoever gets out of that Western Conference is going to play a team that's gone through the ringer in the Eastern Conference. You, you know, you could be looking at a situation where, you know, you've gone through the playoffs and you, you had to play Toronto in the first round, a Milwaukee or a Brooklyn in the second, and then like a Philly or whoever, you know, another Brooklyn or Milwaukee in the, in the conference finals, like it's going to be three really tough series just to get out of the East alone. Whereas in the West, you know, there's really three teams that stand out and then everybody else is kind of middling. Um, no, no one else really scares me um, if I'm a contender in the West. So you could get an easy first round series uh, compared to the East where it's just really tough this season. I think we got to talk about the Suns, I think, did a cheeky little move. Tory Krett, we'll talk about that later. But the fact that the Suns don't have to play the Warriors or the Grizzlies the first two rounds mm-hmm. needs to make – like that should put them as the title favorites, um, considering what you just said about the East being the gauntlet. Like if you're playing Dallas with Spencer Di- – well, again, I want to hold off on the trade talk. But <laughs> – Playing Dallas in the second round, you're playing like the Timberwolves in the first or the Kings, like who knows? You're playing the Kings. That's great. 
um, you're making the conference finals for sure. You have one tough series and then you face like a destroyed Eastern conference team. You can say that more experience and more game time and maybe um, like too much rest can get you out of rhythm and mess up your flow early in the series. But that's just the sun should be the favorites. But yeah. anyway, they are my opinion. Last thing on the, the Philly deal. I, I just want to mention real quick, quickly is the, the Daryl Morey love, which I get because ultimately, you know, he stuck to his guns. He held out on the whole Simmons thing. He said like he was willing to wait four years to make a trade for, for Ben Simmons, which was obviously over an over exaggeration, but he did end up getting James Harden. When months ago we were talking about like guys like De'Aaron Fox, Harrison yep. Barnes, like a Sabonis. So ultimately that is a W right. But Let's, can we stop acting like, you know, Daryl Morey is – I just the, – the love is a little overblown. I don't think he's the best GM in the league by any means. I think he has to, you know, win a title to get that crown. I think there's you – know, the guy out in Golden State, I, I, I think, the best GM in the league. Um, but I don't know. The, the, the Morey love, I think, has been a little bit overblown. I think he – him and Harden have this weird relationship that I don't think you can compare to any other GM and player in NBA history. Um, and he's obviously more, he's a believer. And if you got two top 15 guys, just, you don't really have to worry about too much about the rest. Those guys can carry the load. And I love the pieces. I love Maxi, Tobias Harris, eh, but really Maxi and Thibel, um, are surrounding those two guys. Um, I like, but we don't know how Harden and Embiid are going to coexist. You know, Harden's going to take away a lot of shots from Embiid um, that, you know, he he had been taking the season where he was basically their main offensive. Well, he definitely was their main offensive threat. Um, but he's, he, he's going to see a reduction in his usage. They're going to have to share the ball. I think it's going to be a lot of my turn, your turn type of thing. I don't know. We'll see how they, they fit ultimately. Um but I think we just need to ease off the Daryl Morey love a little bit until he ultimately one of his teams wins a, a title. Then, then fine. It'll be a full blown Morey love fest from NBA media. <laughs> it already is. Yeah. I mean, you got to give him credit for waiting it out. I don't think anybody saw Simmons value increasing. If you waited a summer, if you waited after December 15th, no, uh, but he knew what always happens is situations change, star players become available, and he was ready. Do you, so, th- do you think this whole, I'm going to force my way out no matter what, come hell or high water, you know, Harden moving his or forcing himself out of two teams in, in a calendar year, do you think it's good for the league? Well, when you say it like that, probably not. <laughs> I, I guess – um, I'm all for player empowerment. I think uh, if Simmons wanted to give up 20 million to not play for a team, okay. I don't think like, that should be allowed, though. I don't. I think Adam Silver gave Philly a big pass on that. Hmm. I think if you're a David Stern, I don't think David Stern would have let that fly in a million years. Probably not. Probably not. Um, I don't think you could say it sets a dangerous precedent. You're only allowing the top guys to do this, though. So what I have an issue with is the lack of equity. Like, if, if you're a top guy, it's the whole thing. of If you're a top guy, you deserve the right, like, I'm going to not play. I still have value. I can afford to do this. Like, I'm still going to make a bunch of money. Um, 
and it doesn't allow like I don't know Bogdan Bogdanovich is not going to do something like this like Bogdan Bogdanovich would be out of the league if he did something like this so um and Bogdan great player starting level guy obviously <laughs> like all the respect in the world but so I I have an issue with like deferential treatment towards um players that are making the NBA a bunch of money although that's just the reality of the situation you're going to give people a pass um if they're big assets but yeah uh I don't love it for the league but I kind of like something like Simmons was doing but I do appreciate like players are defining more of the structure of of things I don't want it to be something like I don't know oh if Zion forces his way out after like not playing for four years to New York I'm gonna be like really like at least play your first seven in a place (laughs) that you were drafted like establish yourself and then if you want to do something else like go for it uh it does if there's too much flexibility then the bottom teams like the teams in these markets that are just not as desirable like they're screwed if (laughs) jaw could have just like withheld he wouldn't have that's not in his personality that has like that's completely against his character but if he could have just not played for a couple years, he wants out. Like, I just don't see that being good for the league. So as long as this is all it is, and there's a few guys that do this, and okay, and I get why, because they add more value to the league because they're these big stars. I don't love it. But, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid this might extend further than that and, like, actually mess up the parity in the NBA more than has already and um yeah i I don't know what the future holds but i'm not in love with it but i get it so i would i would tend to agree we'll we'll see and ultimately like a lot of these situations have been james harden in the past uh over the past you know two seasons so we'll see what the future holds um and who who the next guy to force himself out is as long as john morant doesn't do it in memphis which he hasn't shown any signs. Um, I guess I don't have too many issues. It will be interesting to see if Zion signs the rookie extension this offseason, which there's been a lot of debate about if he ultimately forces himself out of New Orleans. Yeah, then then we got, I think, a big issue on our hands um, where, you know, basically a third, fourth year guy is forcing himself out of his you know, the team that drafted him that, and then, yeah, I mean, he's our, he hasn't played a game this season and New Orleans has made moves at the deadline to maybe increase his interest in staying in New Orleans, I guess you could say. Um, so we'll see what Zion does. And yeah, the whole player empowerment era, it's, 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 it's interesting. Um, and it's certainly different than like the NFL, you know, where really the players don't have a ton of leverage whereas in the NBA, the players have all the leverage. So uh, the next, next deal we have to talk about. And for me, it's the, it's the, my drop, my jaw dropped when I saw the woes notification trade. Um, Indy getting Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald and Tristan Thompson from Sacramento in exchange for DeMontis Sabonis, Justin Holiday, Jeremy Lamb and a 2023 second round pick. So, you know, initial reaction is, you know, this is the King's going to King trade, but 
Um, I guess I want to, I'd love to hear your opinion on it from, you know, I guess you're a, a Sacramento, like empathizer considering you have family up there. Um, so yeah, what, what are your opinions on, uh, this, this interesting deal that went down? I think it was on Tuesday. It was an early deal. Yeah. It's just sad, sad to see. So I think what they're attempting to do here is, okay, we got Fox, we got Mitchell, we got Halliburton. Let's get rid of one of them. Halliburton probably has the most value. Um, but he's might be contributing the least to our team on paper, even though that's not true. Maybe that's in their mind. They think Fox is the star of the future and Halliburton is just a complimentary guy. So like, okay, who can we get to win now? Because it's been 15 years since we've won. <laughs> so like, let's do something here. Uh, so I think part of it is they want Davion to shine more. Maybe it's the whole situation, like getting rid of Hassan and you see Bam blow up. So they think Davion with more minutes is going to be even better than Tyrese's, even though they're very different players, obviously size-wise, but also in terms of their game in general. Um, I think they're like, okay, if we get Fox, we get Mitchell, we get Barnes, we have Sabonis, that's a play-in team. And, like, let's actually make the play-in because we've never even played – we haven't played basketball resembling playoff basketball. <laughs> D-Web fell. Like that's actually what it's been. So I get the desperation. I really, like I I can empathize with it, but um, what they failed to realize is they, for the first time had somebody that actually liked being in Sacramento. You think De'Aaron Fox likes being in Sacramento? Not really. Davion's probably fine with it. He's too young right now. Right. Say otherwise, but Tyrese is like, I want to be here. I want to make sure this team doesn't have the culture it's had for the past 10 to 15 years. I want to be the person that changes that you ship them out two weeks later after that interview. That's an embarrassment. So he's a great character guy, not to mention high qualities. So in terms of efficiency, like some of the numbers I saw on Halliburton are absurd. Like he was six amongst qualifying at like effective field goal percentage for guards. He was, he's like top 10 in a bunch of, Efficient, like shooting efficiency categories, playmaking categories, and defense for his size. Like he's a versatile defender. He can guard the one, two, or three. He's a great passer. He's an efficient scorer. He's capable of creating his own shot. And he, he's not like a black hole, basically, for, for the ball. Like he's not just going to inhale 25 to 30 shots a game. He's somebody that can be a complimentary piece that has the potential to grow into a number one on a good team and number two on an outstanding, maybe even championship team. And you're letting that go for a guy like Sabonis, who you already know who that guy is. Yeah. Like he's borderline level all-star, great facilitator from the low block, is going to put up a lot of 20 and 10 games. We haven't seen him necessarily be a player that's conducive to winning. I know we haven't seen that from Tyrese, but look at his true plus minus, look at all the advanced metrics, and he's, It'll tell you if he's not in Sacramento, he's going to be outstanding. And he's love- too. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I love this for the Pacers because they want to get rid of Sabonis. Maybe they'll get rid of Miles Turner soon. They just blew it up. They should. Like the best they were, even when they had Oladipo before he went down, they were like a second round team at best. That's all they were going to do in the East. So why would you keep doing that? It's a little bit better of a situation than Orlando was in before they blew it up. 
But I think this is great timing by them to have Tyrese, to have a slew of picks and some good young talent on that team. I like the position they're in now so much better than I did before that Karis LeVert trade uh, a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, love it for the Pacers. The Kings, I get what they were trying to do here. And, hey, if you make the 10th seed and you lose in the first playing game and you all think that's worth it, good for you. You know, like, God bless. I'm not going to try to get in the way of your happiness. But to give up a franchise cornerstone for Sabonis, who's probably not going to stay with you when his contract's up, and it's a guy that's not going to get much better, doesn't really make sense. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, what do you think about this whole situation? How do you think it sets up the Kings and the Pacers? Yeah. So I'll start with the Kings side of it. I do think it was a classic Kings going to King trade. Just so many, there's, they have such a long history of horrible deals like this, right? But I will say, I do think people are undervaluing Sabonis in this situation. You know, he's on a team-friendly deal. He's got 18.5 this year, then 18.5 next year, and 19.5 um, the season after that before he becomes a free agent. For, you know, a guy that's averaging 19 points per game on, on only 12 shots a game, shooting 57.8% from the field, 12 rebounds a game and five assists. So you mentioned him, you know, being able to just distribute from the low block. He's, you know, he has an array of post moves. Um, and he was one of the most talked about names heading into the dead, heading into the deadline. He's not a black hole. Like you said, on the offense, um, he's not going to take away shots from other guys that you have, you know, on, in your, uh, in your backcourt or whatever. Um, if you, he, he's still under team control for a couple of years. So he can be like the anchor of their friend. I think he's the best player on their team already. You know, he's an all-star caliber player. Um, he can be the anchor of your franchise um, moving forward for the next few years. And, you know, we saw right away, he came in, scored 22 points, 14 rebounds, five assists, and a, a big win, 132-119 over Minnesota in his first game in Sacramento. Like, I think Sabonis is a great player. And people were ripping the Kings – um, for this deal, which ultimately I think is fair. Um, but don't, don't undervalue Sabonis. I think he's a great player when, and if, you know, Sacramento decides to pair him with the right guys, maybe Fox is that guy. Maybe they can, like you said, push for the play in, um, or like a back half of the playoffs type of team. And they'll have to make other moves with this roster. It's just, it's so far away from any sort of title contention. I don't mind them. Sacramento training way healed in this situation, but I do think they should have made a move in, in the summer when there was a lot of trade buzz surrounding him, especially with Los Angeles, they could have gotten like Kuzma KCP, um, even a Caruso. I don't well, no Caruso was a free agent, but you know, I trade could have been a sign and trade and right. throw in a pick. Yeah. I would have loved that return way more than what they got from Indiana, Indiana here. Um, if they had those Lakers guys plus a Sabonis, then yeah, that, that I really would have liked where, where they are, but buddy healed is, you know, having a worse, worse shooting season of his career, 35.3% from the field, 36% from three still has two years left on his contract at 20 million and 18 million. I don't love that for Indiana. I just don't think, I think buddy healed um, maybe the peak of his value was this off season. He hasn't, he has decreased his value as we can see by this trade uh, throughout the season, but all that being said for Sacramento, yeah, it's just inexcusable to trade away 
Tyrese Halliburton. I'm not a fan of trading away rookies or second year guys in the first place, regardless of who they are. Usually if you see one of those guys get traded, like an RJ Hampton, it's because the team has kind of seen enough from him and they don't think of, you know, brightly of his future. That just can't be the case from what we've seen from Halliburton so far. He's a career 40% three point shooter showing the ability to get a bucket both off the catch and off the dribble Uh, that game in Philly this year, which the Kings did lose, but he scored like 35, 36 points really stands out to me. Um, he was at, you know, he started off cold averaging 11 points per season, uh, per game in the first two months of the year, but he got hot, um, over December and January, averaging 16 points per game. We saw his impact right away in Indianapolis last night, scored 23 on 19 uh, or 23 points on nine of 15 shooting five of six from three, six assists. They did lose 120 to 113 to Cleveland. They were winning most of the game, but got outscored 32 to 17 in the fourth, but yeah, Tyrese Halliburton was finally like the, a franchise caliber player can be a cornerstone of your franchise moving forward. And he's on a team friend. He's on his rookie contract for like three more seasons, just inexcusable to trade him. And Sabonis so is a great player, like I pointed out, but I just think you could have gotten a much better return for this guy, um, especially when you actually have a guy that wants to play in Sacramento. Like that just doesn't happen. Could you, could you imagine if, Tyrese was actually on the table and the Kings won a trade. You know, what would have been great. The Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah. Like, I mean, we have Ja, Dylan, Desmond. I know we, I know we got guys, but I might give, I might give up Dylan to get Tyrese. I might give up more than Dylan to get Tyrese because Tyrese would fit into our system probably a little better even than Dylan would. Probably. Um, and he has the potential to be – like, Dylan at this point can get a little bit better, but he's too old to get much, much better. Tyrese is in his second season. So would you rather have Dylan Brooks plus a couple picks or Sabonis? I'd probably rather have Dylan Brooks plus a couple – I don't know. That's an example, but the Kings could have gotten more, and they didn't. Um, yeah, yeah, it's classic stuff from, so, and then I want to get into the indie side because they're the, the, they accelerated their rebuild team for me. I love what Indiana did at the deadline. I think they're actually the biggest winners of this trade deadline. Um, their, their roster heading into the trade deadline had, it was just sale. You know, they were kind of running out the same team year after year at their, like their ceiling was a first, their ceiling was a second round playoff team. It was clear they weren't really going to work. They weren't going to win with uh, a Turner Sabonis front court, right? So it just didn't work together. And ultimately, they decided to stay with Turner for this season, which is fine considering what they got in return. I don't think Miles Turner is necessarily going to be with them long term anyway. They can, you know, package him with this offseason and move. They're, they're clearly in, in rebuild mode. But what they got for Sabonis, you know, a Tyrese Halliburton, Heald, Thompson who's an unrestricted free agent this year. Anyway, they got Jalen Smith from Phoenix and a second round pick Jalen Smith, a guy that Phoenix didn't give the, the rookie extension to this off season. And who, 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 he's shown signs. He just didn't play much for them. So take a flyer on Smith um, in return for Karis Levert, which I love getting rid of Karis Levert. I think he's a ball stopper. Um, you know, he was taking 16 field goals a game, five threes, only shooting 44% from the field, 32% from three average. Guys taking basically 
21 shots a game and only averaging 18 points, just a guy you want to get rid of. Um, acquired some picks, first round lottery protected from um, who did they get that? Oh, from Cleveland. So it's going to be, they're going to, that's going to cafe because Cleveland's going to be out of the lottery. A um, couple seconds, only got rid of Tory Craig, defensive specialist, Justin Holiday, Jeremy Lamb, a second round pick, and Karis LeVert. Like, I love, um, kind of the refresh here. Right. And Halliburton immediately, um, accelerates their rebuild. Um, you know, he still has two years left to control before they have to give him the rookie extension. They got Brogdon at 22 million for three more seasons. A guy that I really like, uh, Turner for 18 mil for another year. And then Chris Duarte, who I've, you know, really liked in his rookie season. Um, they got a lot of cap flexibility moving forward. They're also 19 and 38, the fifth worst record in the league. And they still have their first round pick. So they're still going to get, they're also going to have a really good first round pick this year. We'll see how far they fall. If they get lucky in the lottery, they could end up with a top three pick, end up with a guy like Holmgren, Bancaro, or, or Jabari Smith. And boom, then we're looking at Indiana, Indiana's maybe a playoff team next year already. And I think yeah. they could make a Miles Turner trade. So I really like what Indy did um, at the deadline. I, I definitely agree with you. This could be a retooling like half season pretty much. Mm-hmm. They're not even going to have to spend a lot of time on the bottom. If they get lucky in the lottery, they also, even if they don't, they get a top five pick. You have the flexibility to move up with what you got. Like if you really want one of those top three guys, you might have enough to get three from somebody that I don't know, is more desperate for more assets instead of a singular guy. They're putting all their sort of investment into, um, but yeah. Shout out the Pacers. Good stuff. Um, I think that Indiana has always been a team with an interesting front office in the sense that they've never fully committed to a rebuild like this. Yeah. They were one of those teams that would much rather be in the back half of the playoffs and just lose in the first round or maybe even the second round than fully commit to getting a top pick. I'm glad they finally said, all right, we're going to go for it this year. They're already really bad. And they got a really good player in Tyrese Halliburton in return for it. So hopefully it pays off for them. Um, I love what they did at the deadline. And in Sacramento, while it was, it's grim giving up Halliburton, Sabonis isn't an awful player in return. And we'll see. Um, you know, I, I do feel bad for, for Kings fans is, is all I'll say. Um, all right. Next up, we got the what in the world were they thinking team or kind of the what, what in the world were they thinking trade. And it's got to be this. We'll, we'll start with the trade itself, and then I'll get into the team. But the Chris Tapps Porzingis deal, right? The, the, the Wizards give up Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans, and in return, they are getting Chris Tapps Porzingis. I guess I'd love to hear your opinion from – both sides really. Uh, I, cause you could go, you could go both ways on other sides here. So give, give me your take on this deal. Sure. Um, so does Dinwiddie make sense with Brunson and Doncic? They could do like a, a Brunson Dinwiddie Luca on defense. So Luca guards a three and then just have three guards on offense because of Luca's size, they have that flexibility. Um, and go small. They've been wanting to go small for like a while. They just didn't have the personnel. They still really don't like without KP. KP has been 
solid defensively, solid offensively, but not anything special, not anything like we saw from the unicorn back in New York. Um, I think, yeah, like Dwight Powell, Marquise Chris, are these guys going to be small ball fives? Like, no. And then you don't actually have somebody that's smaller that can play a small ball five. So, like, I, it's questionable. Like, I, I get it because Dinwiddie and Bertans, if it pans out, if Bertans played like he did before his extension and you have this floor-spreading 6'10 guy, like, maybe even how he was for the Spurs in his last year with the Spurs, like, okay, you got a solid guy. Um, and then you also have Dinwiddie, who's, like, 18 to 22 points potentially per game, can be a secondary playmaker. But they already have Brunson, and you're giving up Porzingis, who still, I know, it's been a couple years. I get it. He has the potential to kick it up into the next year during the playoffs. We saw he did before he went down with injury a couple years ago, I believe, in the bubble. And you're just kind of punting on that, like at this point. If you're doing that, you need to get more than this. Yeah, This is an embarrassment. Bertan's contract is one of the worst in the league as currently. You're banking on him reverting to old form. You're banking on Dinwiddie working out in a small ball lineup with three guards, which is what the Kings just punted on Tyrese. They punted on him for the exact same reason. The Mavs are looking to like recreate what didn't work out for the Kings. It doesn't make, doesn't make a ton of sense. Um, I don't love it for the Mavs, for the Wizards. I guess you're desperately trying to keep Beal. Beal has been great this season. The Wizards have not been great this season. So, okay, you got a couple talented guys. Honestly, I like what the Wizards are trying to do. Like, they are trying to keep their star happy, and they tried to bring in Russ. They're trying to bring in KP. Kuzma's been solid. Like, KCP's been all right. Trez, they traded away, I think, around the deadline for for a piece or two. But – um, they're trying to please somebody that I don't even know if they should be trying to keep. Yeah. Like, Beal has it. Are you going to be paying Beal the supermax when he can't be the best player on a good team? Like, he's just not capable. He's a second guy, maybe a third guy. And I know he was putting up over 30, and we were all like, oh my God, the Warriors would have to give up like yeah. four picks and all this for Bradley Beal. And it's like, really? Look at his efficiency this year. Look at the type of player he is. Yeah. Um, I think I get what they're trying to do here. Um, they're banking on KP in an offense where he could get more touches than he would with the Mavs. Like, Beal is a high-volume guy, but he's not as high-volume or as ball-dominant as Luka is. So you're putting him in a situation where he can put up more stuff, put up better numbers. Maybe you leverage that to to package him with something else to get something or to rebuild you trade Beal and you trade KP and you rebuild whatever it is like they're trying to do something to make Beal happy and also setting themselves up for like future trades where they could rebuild or retool so I would have done it if I were the Wizards if I'm the Mavs like I get being frustrated with the situation with Doncic and, and KP but Get something better than what you did for the Wizards. So I think if I'm if I'm Bradley Beal though, like I don't think Porzingis is the guy that's gonna keep me in Washington. I mean, definitely not. 
he's shooting a career low 28.3% from three. Really, he's he just hasn't been the same player that he was in New York. It didn't work with Luca. He's, this season, he's averaging his lowest points per game um, since 16-17. He's regressed every single season since his peak in, in New York in 17-18. It's just – and on top of that, the guy's making 33.8 mil this year. He's got a 33 – or sorry, next year, and then he's got a $36 million team option in 23-24. I mean, I'd be stunned if Washington picks that up. But this, this is a max guy for a guy that's been extremely injury prone and has only regressed every single season. Um, it's just weird. And that's, that's why the wizards for me, it's just this tread deadline was kind of a, a head scratch. I, I get getting rid of Spencer Dinwiddie. It was apparent that his teammates did not like him at all. He's been having a career worst season since that torn ACL Bertans good to get off the worst contract in the league. Don't get me wrong, but getting Porzingis's contract in return. I'm not really a big fan of that. And then, yeah, they made that Harold trade, which was another head scratcher. I know he's an unrestricted free agent this year and he's not like the wizards aren't going anywhere, but they only got Vernon Carey and Ishmith, a backup point guard in return and a second round pick. Like just, uh, I don't know. And like, I don't know what this team is. Like they have no, they have no identity. Bradley Beal has been there forever, but like you said, I don't think he's deserving of a super max. I know he led the league in scoring, but it's Washington. He was the main guy, super high volume scorer. They got Kuzma and KCP in the Westbrook trade, which I, I like Kuzma. I think he's been having a great season kind of where he stepped into a more, a bigger role, um, which obviously he just couldn't have in Los Angeles. Uh, now they're taking on the KP max deal. Like, this, this, if you go through and look at the roster, it just doesn't make a ton of sense. And I feel bad for Wizards fans because I just have no idea what their direction is. They really haven't been good in our lifetime. I can't remember any memorable Wizards teams. Maybe the John Wall, Brad Beal, where they made like the second round. Um, they started hot and they were, you know, up, up way up there in the Eastern Conference, but they're 25 and 29 now. So they're not even going to have a good first round pick this year. They kind of screwed themselves by starting out hot. Just the, the direction of Washington, I don't, I just don't love it. It's tough. Yep, one of the toughest, I guess, positions to be in right now because Beal doesn't necessarily want to leave. You want to keep him, I guess, but do you? Because he's good. It's like the Kemba situation a few years ago. You know that contract's going to be terrible. Charlotte ended up punting on it. Look where Charlotte is now. Like, so maybe that's the best thing. Maybe you trade Beal. You don't give him the Supermax. You try to get a suitor, a KP when his stock goes up. Like, I get what they're trying to do. If things work out, like, I understand what they're trying to do. Yeah. And if things don't, they're not in a terrible position. This is kind of a low-stakes gamble. For the Mavs, it's a pretty big gamble, and it's unlikely to work out. I think from a, from a Dallas perspective, it's I find the construction of that roster extremely interesting just because it's really hard to find players that fit with Luka Doncic. They haven't been able to find the right mix yet, and he's just so ball dominant that it's tough to find guys that fit with the guy. And Is Spencer Dinwiddie the answer? I don't think so. He's a high-volume shooter. You saw what happened in Washington. They didn't like him right away. So will Dallas be able to find players that fit around Luca or is he going to end up going somewhere else? Or is Luca just, is he never going to have 
success in terms of like winning a championship in his career because he has he, he can't learn to make other players better i don't know it's funny how the narrative around luca has changed so much over the past year yep it has we this always happens when we have a few years where we just enjoy somebody's success and then expectations start to build and you're like okay they made this jump they made this jump they made this jump we didn't expect them to do that now are you gonna win and that's where he's at. Like this year and next year, that's where he's at. Nobody's going to be patting him on the back if they lose in seven to the Clippers like they did yeah. for two years. Like they're not going to – the first round exit to the Clippers, like what happened the past couple of years is not going to be a positive for him. So, yeah, the pressure is starting to mount kind of like with Giannis a couple of years ago before when he won a championship. So yeah. we're in, interested to see what People. happens. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. People forget how much Giannis fatigue there was heading into the playoffs last year. You know, he won the he won those two straight MVPs, but he just couldn't get it done in the playoffs. And he was, it was, it, it basically was, you know, Giannis isn't like isn't while he puts up these great numbers, he's not a winning player. He doesn't affect winning. He's not never going to win a title because he can't shoot. Whatever. Like and he finally changed that narrative uh, in the playoffs last year, which. I appreciate that's uh, another guy like a, a Devin Booker is another example. He was one of the most scrutinized players in the league until last season when he took a, a you know, Phoenix on a deep run with CP three Lucas, Lucas starting to have that narrative around him too. So it'll be interesting. I hope, you know, the same thing doesn't happen to John Morant next season, but I think he's a completely different player. He's not a ball stopper. He's no way ball dominant whatsoever. Jaws yeah. willing to sit in the corner for possession and let the other guys run the offense, whatever. I think Jaw might have an extra year. I think this year is a gravy year, but next year will be like, even if he just does what he did this year, right. you're like, okay. But after that, yeah. Like if he doesn't have success, he'll, he'll be under the same microscope. Um, I think Luca is, I think Luca to the Lakers might happen. Like opt out, restrictive, who knows? Like who knows? They probably don't have the assets. But Luca to somewhere for a super team could happen in the next few years. Um, yeah, the person finding personnel around them, especially because Dallas is depleted of assets, uh, it's going to be very, very difficult. So, yeah, we'll we'll continue to monitor that situation. Um, next, what do we got next? Yeah, next up we got the, and this is going to surprise you, my take here, but uh, the. They should have done something slash could have become stronger contenders if they made a trade team. And for me, it's the Golden State Warriors. I, I really think the Warriors should have made a deal at this trade deadline. I believe Phoenix, I think, like you said earlier, they're far and away the favorites in the Western Conference right now. They're already four and a half games ahead of Golden State. They're, they're rolling. They're an absolute machine. They destroyed Milwaukee 131-107 on Thursday night, a title rematch. They also added Tory Craig and Aaron Holiday um, at the deadline as you know slight roster tweaks toward you know kind of the back half of their rotation, right? Meanwhile, in San Francisco, Curry is sneakily struggling big time. You know he only he's only been averaging twenty two points per game in twenty twenty two, down from twenty seven points per game in the first three months of the season where he was you know having significant MVP MVP buzz. He was the leader. Uh, for the MVP race, he's shot 38.5% from the field 
and 32.9% from three in January. He's having, he's shooting a career low 38% from three this season, 40% from the field on top of that. Well, I know Clay Thompson's been on a minute restriction. He's only maxed out at 23 points per game this year, averaging 16.7 points per game in 24.3 minutes. He's only shooting 37% from three. Like he's shown flashes, but he just hasn't looked like the Clay Thompson that we've all, you know, come to uh, appreciate and love watching. On top of that, they're arguably the most important player on their team. Draymond Green hasn't played since January 9th with a significant back injury. And right now there's no timetable for when he's even going to come back. I just find it interesting how you've got these three aging former, well, three aging superstars. I would say Curry is still a superstar. Thompson and green may be like former stars. Um, They decided to keep their draft picks right. Heading into the draft. Everyone thought that golden state would package like the seventh and 14th pick for some sort of return. Right. Like you said, there was, the uh, the Bradley Beal rumors, whatever. They decided to keep Kaminga and Moody. At that point, everyone thought they were going to move those two for some sort of package by the deadline. Yeah. They still ha- they didn't do that. They still have James Wiseman, who hasn't played a basketball game since April 10th. He's only played 39 games in the NBA, played three games at Memphis. Like He hasn't played much basketball, but I would still think he could get you some sort of return. You package those three young guys, who aren't playing a significant role this season anyways in some picks. And they could have gotten a guy like, you know, I don't know. They could have gotten, they could have made a few different trades, gotten like a Jeremy Grant, who I think would have been a great fit. DeMontis Sabonis, another guy that I thought would have been a great fit in Golden State. I just think like the core of this team, Draymond, Clay, and Steph, they're aging. They've shown signs of decline this season. You, you just can't argue that, right? They've also had huge injuries with Clay coming off the Achilles and the ACL. Draymond Green having a back injury, which to me, back injuries are, are scary. It's hard to come back from those. And it's tough to, when you come back from them, I don't know if Draymond's going to be the same player. He plays a very physical style of game. How is that back injury going to affect him? They've already been struggling. Their four and a half back of Phoenix has just been a, uh, you know, a machine this year. I think they should have made a deal to get another all-star or just solid player, starter caliber player in return for some of these young guys and picks and make a run for, for another title window, small title window, two, three years, and just ride out the last few years of these stars careers and not worry about these young guys who I don't think are going to be the future of your franchise anyway. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think they must believe something else. I think they believe maybe those players will have more value later on. Maybe they think they'll have enough this year to go far, like just with Clay getting back to himself in the next couple months with Draymond returning and allowing Steph and Clay to be how they are normally. Um, yeah. I, I want to say like the struggles for Steph and Draymond being out, those are heavily linked. Like it's not just he's str- So like, let's see what Draymond does when he comes back. Let's see how that affects Steph and Clay's game. Um, I think they, they have a strong belief that when fully healthy, even with those young guys, they have a decent shot at a title. And they don't know if they can get enough back for the young guys right now. Or maybe they can get more back later when those players are in meaningful playoff games, which is not like – it's not the worst philosophy to have. I just – I would disagree um, with that, and I'd agree with you. I think they could pack it. Kaminga is 
shown significant flashes, more than even Wiseman has in the brief time Wiseman's played. Moody, you're not going to get a tum for, but you package those three guys and, yeah, a pick or two. You could be looking at somebody to add to Wiggins, Steph, Clay, Draymond. Like, you could get that fifth person. Sabonis at the four would have been great. I agree. Or Sabonis at the five and Draymond at the four. Um, you could even extend play small ball. If Tyrese Halliburton is available, right. why don't you give all that up for Tyrese Halliburton? I would have done that. Guy. Yeah. 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 So, and I think a Sabonis would have made them title favorites. Wow. Yeah. I depends how much they'd have to give up. Right. Their current roster, but yeah, you still have one Toscano Anderson. Shout out Juan Toscano. You have uh, Jordan Poole off the bench. You got uh, Gary Payton, the second. You got, you got like a solid number of role players. You have decent depth, and then your starting five is outstanding. Yeah, I could see that over any other team. Um, what really concerns me is the, the green injury. I, I don't know when we're going to see him back. He's, like you said, I think he's – he makes Steph kind of what he is. That's him and Green and the Curry struggle, struggling shooting is heavily linked. They need him if they want to have any chance at winning a title. We haven't heard anything about him coming back, so they could have been proactive about it, but they weren't. So that's just, I was just I think Phoenix is leaps and bounds better than them right now. If if Green doesn't come back for that series, Golden State has no chance. You know the Grizzlies are only two and a half back of golden state right now i mean the grizzlies run out their guys every single night because they're so young we're running out our best team every night while golden state until they get draymond back they're not going to have their best team the grizzlies could very well get that two seed for all we know and then golden state could be could, could be in a very tough first round series against denver with Jokic and murray back there was even a report Yesterday, uh, the owner or GM, whoever of the Nuggets, said that MPJ might be back this season. I, I, we'll see. That could just be, you know, that could just be public speak. I don't know, but I, I just don't love the spot the Warriors are in right now. And I guess it's all linked around this Draymond injury because he's kind of the hard soul of that offense and defense. Yeah, very true. Um, I mean, right now, dude, we're <laughs> I think we're two and a half games back of uh of the warriors and there's a ton of games left to play i mean we have 25 games left i think of the season very real possibility the grizzlies are too um even with draymond coming back in the next month like we could overtake them 100 percent. and then they're looking at playing a nuggets team potentially with jamal back mpj back as you were saying like they're they're not in a great position um, and then we get to kind of coast and play maybe the Clippers or the Timberwolves or the Lakers or the Pelicans, or the Kings or whoever. Yeah. So it's kind of a big deal who gets that two spot. Yeah. Um, and the, the Yeah. I don't want to play that, that six seeded Denver and the Grizzlies are 21 games or whatever over 500. And we really haven't been fully healthy all season. You know, we went on that big run without jaw. And now we've been playing great basketball in 2022, but we haven't had Dylan really. So it's interesting because we're playing, we've been able to play great basketball without a fully healthy roster. And it's interesting because we're so deep, right? Me and James went to the Grizzlies Pistons game last night and oh, we yeah. just, Oh my God, the Pistons are so bad. The game was over at tip off. <laughs> I was scoring by like 20 plus points in the first quarter, but 
in like in the last five minutes of the game and we're up 20 plus it's like you know you're kind of waiting for everybody to clear their benches but then we kind of realize like we cleared our bench five yeah. minutes ago but our yeah. bench plays like all these guys play brendan clark john conchar tyus jones like they all play a significant role on the team anyways the back half of our, even santi aldama like the back half of our bench plays so we like when we clear our bench at the end of the game it's all guys that get like 15 to 20 minutes a game anyway which is what's so great about the this grizzlies team i think absolutely yeah of course we end up talking about the grizzlies well, we needed to yeah. uh, on every NBA pod we should, especially right now. I think, yeah, we have, we have such great depth. We can't afford to keep everybody. We need to make a move, hopefully this offseason, hopefully draft night. But because um, we got three picks, we have several outstanding, like, young role players. We have a couple young star, like, wings that we could possibly, like, package together to get something big. So we'll see who becomes available, but I'd love, I love the fact that we're sticking with this team for this season. Uh And anybody that says the Grizzlies are not a legitimate title threat doesn't watch basketball and is kidding themselves. Like we, we can win it this year. Why not? Um, If the Bengals can make the Super Bowl, why can't the Grizzlies make the finals this year? Bengals. Yes, sir. All right. Um, last one, uh, last couple things, uh, quick, Quick one here, the under the radar trade that might make a difference come playoff time. For me, I think it's Milwaukee getting Serge Ibaka in a four-team deal, um, ultimately only having to give up Dante DiVincenzo, a guy that they didn't re-sign. They decided not to extend um, this past month. Kind of wasn't going to play much anyway with Connaughton and Grayson Allen there anyway. So I think getting Serge Ibaka, a veteran guy that's been playing good basketball of late, versatile defensive bid, big for Milwaukee, you know, a team that's missed Robin Lopez all season. We don't know when he's going to come back, if he's going to come back. Bobby Portis has been playing a significant role and, you know, really stroking it from three. Um, but I just think getting a Baca is the kind of guy that you want on your team come playoff time. So I think Milwaukee sneakily and quietly got better at this trade deadline, even though the deal didn't get a ton of publicity. Definitely. I like the rotation, even if Brooks not hundred percent, it just puts less pressure on him because he doesn't have to be in a closeout lineup with Bobby playing this way and Ibaka coming in. You can have those two with Giannis, Drew and Chris, and that's a great lineup to end games with um, because you have five people that can actually shoot. And I'm including Giannis. Didn't a lot of people <laughs> have said uh, that might never happen, but you got to include Giannis. He's been, he doesn't like force things anymore either. Like when he feels mm. when he's feeling it from three or when he's feeling it from mid range, like he doesn't just put up a bunch of shots. He knows what he's great at. He'll shoot when he's open. So yeah. Adding a bucket to that, even with Lopez back, I like that as a sort of three big rotation um, and an eight man rotation with uh, probably like George Hill, Wesley Matthews, Connaughton, maybe eight to nine people. That's what we'll be looking at. Uh, yeah, they're, they're deep. They're really deep. They're a complete roster. They're only a game and a half back of the number one seed in the East. I wouldn't be stunned if they ended up going on a bit of a run post all-star break, getting that one seed. I think like we already talked about the East is loaded, but right now, I mean, I got to say, I think my favorites out East are Milwaukee and Miami just because I think they match up or I think both rosters are perfectly constructed for a seven game series. I don't love Chicago in a seven game series. 
We don't know what Philly's going to look like uh, with this new look team. Uh, yep. Philly's also gone under like complete roster, like over like three different iterations of their team over the past few years. You know, remember Jimmy Butler and all them, and they had the Ben Simmons and Embiid. Now they got the Harden and Harden and Embiid. They've gone over a lot of uh, different looking teams or different looking rosters, Toronto. I mean, they're not going to win the East, but I do like them maybe to win a playoff series. So yeah, like I said, I think those are the two favorites out East. Um, and um, yeah, we'll see what happens uh, down the stretch here. Some quick hitters for you as we close out, we already talked about um, if we like Memphis staying put at the deadline, I think we both think it was the right move. Um, what about Minnesota? Just, we, we gotta, you know, play to Joe here. Um, he is one of our top listeners. So do you like the, the Minnesota deciding to stay put at the deadline with the kind of surprising season they've had so far? Yeah. I mean, it's been up and down, but you got to like the size they have, like the young guys like Vanderbilt and McDaniels have been solid defensively. Um, Malik and cat D like they have a pretty deep ish young team. I don't play around with that. Like, just see how they do. They have a legitimate shot um, at making the playoffs through the play-in, um, maybe even getting a six seed. I don't see them doing anything else besides that. But they're on an upward trajectory. Ant has been a monster. Ant looks like a bigger – not a bigger D-Wade. I can't even say – but the swagger the guy's got, you have to respect – like, he just thinks he's the best player in the league. Yep. He knows he's the best player in the league. And the, the way he plays, the way he interviews, the way he lives, like, shows you that. And you need somebody like that because I don't know if Cat is that. Right. Um, and we were worried about D'Lo being super ball dominant. I think they're figuring it out. Um, and, yeah, I like the construction of the team. I don't see why you make a big trade here. If you make a trade to improve at a starting spot, you lose probably a decent amount of your young guys and you sacrifice your depth. If you trade away a couple young guys for a couple vets, you're decreasing your flexibility in the future and the possibility of getting much, much better these next few years. So I like that they just stuck with their pretty high upside uh, team that has momentum going into this last stretch of the season. And I'm excited to see them. I, I'm almost certain they will be in the plan and I'm excited to see them play their first meaningful game since Butler versus like the Jimmy Butler T wolves played the nuggets last game of the season, eight versus nine, which was just a super cool thing um, that happened a few years back. Uh, that was the last game. Cause after they won that, like they weren't going to do anything in the playoffs, but it'll be cool to see cat, an environment that means something and ant in the playoffs is going to be that's sick. Gonna be fun. Yeah, that'll be fun. They'll be a, they'll be a really fun playing team. Kind of like the Grizzlies last year. I think they will be a fun team to watch in the play in um, quick on the Celtics. Do you like the Celtics? Uh, Liv is obviously a, a Celtics fan. Do you like the Celtics giving up a first round pick to get Derek white from San Antonio? I think they needed to get somebody at the point. I mean, Marcus Smart has been doing his best. He's had a good stretch at point guard. He's not a natural point guard. Like, mm -hmm. the guy's an off guard. That's a great defender. He's not, like, a 
a team leader, I guess. I mean, he is maybe emotionally and in terms of intensity, but they needed somebody like Derek White to come in as a more classic sort of point guard that can facilitate um, and is a more sort of consistent presence. I, yeah, I don't mind them giving up a first. Like, this draft is not that deep. Um, past the top three, there's a huge drop-off. And then past probably the top 10 to 12, there's an even bigger one. So their pick was not going to – they're going to make the playoffs, in my opinion. Pick was not going to be a lottery pick. I don't think it has a ton of value. So why not get Derek White and, like, That's fair. try to be competitive in a first-round playoff series? That's fair. Um... I, I, yeah, I would tend to agree. I, I like Derek White as a player. And the Celtics have been playing really good basketball of late. So why not? Um, th- yeah, they're going to be, they're going to push in for the playoff, uh, play in, maybe make it into the playoffs. But ultimately, they'll, they won't make it out of the first round. But I, I like the move getting a, a veteran point guard from San Antonio, giving up only, you know, a few of their young guys and Josh Richardson as well. So overall, I think it was a good deadline for Boston. What about, uh, the McCollum deal. So do you like this trade for, for new Orleans? Um, Cause I think it, it was interesting. It was one of the earlier trades. So it's been a while since it's happened, but yeah. Do you like that trade for new Orleans? Reeks a little bit of desperation, I guess. Uh, they didn't have to give up a ton yep. to be honest. CJ's like CJ would have been an all-star in the East over the, one of the past five years. If he played in the East. Um, they don't have a guard that can create their own shot and facilitate. Devontae Graham can pull up, but he's not, you know, a facilitator. CJ is not truly a facilitator either, but he probably has better playmaking ability and obviously better shot creating um, potential. So I don't – if you think Zion's coming back this season, I don't mind it because it's – there's so much pressure on Zion, like on keeping Zion after you lost AD a few years ago and you somehow got bailed out with the number one pick post that like you need to do something to you need to do everything you can to keep them. It just, it reminds me a little bit of the Drew Holiday thing to the Pelicans where they gave AD a little bit, but not enough. And AD was going to leave anyways. And I think this Zion situation, Zion's even more sort of focused getting out of there. So, um, I mean, you're giving up a couple young pieces. Nikola Alexander-Walker went straight from Portland to somewhere else, so clearly they didn't value him very much. Yeah, you saw. Yeah, Anthony Simons, though, needed to play. Like, so to get McCollum out of there, McCollum was a little redundant. He's much older. Simons looks like a future star. I get one to give him more playing time. You got some something in return if you're Portland. I don't hate it for Portland. You maybe could have gotten more, but I get what they're trying to do there. Maybe they should have gotten another first round pick because they gave up Larry Nance too. I again get what like the Pelicans are trying to do with this and I wish them the best of luck, like trying to make the play in and I hope Zion comes back and I hope something happens for them. But yeah, not an amazing trade for either side, but you can understand the logic surrounding both team's decision-making and um, good luck to both. I don't know. (laughs) They're not going to touch the Grizzlies, so I don't care. Uh, Yeah, I hope not. I would say if Zion does come back and we have no idea if he is, this New Orleans team will push for the 
for the play-in and they'll be a potential tough matchup for whoever they play in the play-in just because you know we saw what zion was last year if he comes back plays that same level yeah they're, they're saw i mean brandon ingram cj mccollum and zion williamson that's a pretty good top three right there so and you mix in a guy like herb jones who plays elite level defense as a rookie i, I like this roster it's just a matter of keeping zion and who knows the status of that can't don't have much to say because we just don't know um last one for you here and then we'll wrap uh, do you think Cleveland got better by acquiring Karis LeVert? They only had to give up Ricky Rubio, who's out for the season, and some picks in return for some scoring and shot creation that they didn't have prior to the deadline. It was kind of their biggest weakness, especially with Colin Sexton out for the season. Great question. I think there's the potential for Karis to mess up the equilibrium that currently exists in terms of shot distribution between uh, Cleveland's big players and maybe not allowing people like Mobley and Garland to facilitate as much as they do by just like putting up more shots and being a ball stopper, as you said. But if he realizes the stakes and that he could potentially fit into a team that in the next few years has legitimate title hopes, I don't think this year they're even going to make the conference finals, but realistically, um, but if he fits in, he puts up eight to 10 shots a game. Like this is exactly what Cleveland needed is a wing that can make shots. That's long. Like Sexton's not big. Sexton's a point guard size. Like you can't put Garland and Sexton, two small guards that can't really defend that well out there together. You can't do it. Karras at least has the frame to, and he's shown some signs of like being a solid uh, defender. He also can shoot, I think, at a lesser volume if he buys into this system. Could end up being one of the best moves of this trade deadline. Um, I'm, if you were to ask me, should it, will it work out one way or the other? I think Karras ends up being a net plus. I think giving up this pick doesn't really matter for them in the long term. And, um, yeah, I, I think he's like the final little piece they needed to fit into the puzzle. And if he can grow in the way they hope, you know, next five years, we'll see. But Cleveland, for the first time in their history, without LeBron James, because I don't count the ELO years and the Steve Kerr years where they were good, but they didn't do anything in the playoffs. Like, they could make the finals yep. coming up soon. And who knows? LeBron could go back home and wiggle out of his current deal. I don't, and, oh, my God, can you imagine LeBron on that team? Like, I don't – if I'm a Cleveland fan, I don't know if I want him back just because yeah. he – you like he might mess up the equilibrium and he's on obviously the downswing of his career. It's refreshing to see a Cleveland team that's good without LeBron. I don't know if they, they want to get him back. Maybe there's a sense of arrogance from Dan Gilbert in the sense that, Hey, I'm good without LeBron. You know, I, I don't want to mess any of this up. I don't want LeBron back. This team can win for years to come without LeBron. So um, I love, the situation Cleveland. And I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch in the playoffs. Um, they're going to be a tough matchup for obviously whoever they play with how deep the, the East is, there's a very good chance they finish as like a two, three, four seed and don't even make it out of the first round. But um, still the future is very bright in Cleveland. Um, and yeah, for the first time in our lifetime, they're a playoff team without LeBron James. So um, good for Cleveland. It's good to see, at least one of the teams in their city uh, winning. It seems like the Cavs have been the only team 
uh, of late that's actually had some success. I guess the Indians made the World Series in 2016, but the Browns have been, uh, you know, disappointing year after year. So that that's all I got uh, for you. Do you have anything else? Uh, anything else you want to hit on or? I I'm good, my friend. It was great to talk to you about all of the the big business that happened these past couple of weeks. Um, I'm sure we will try to do one of these again very soon. Obviously the grind has started for me and probably won't let up for the next four and a half months to 50 years of my life. So we will see what happens. Um, but yeah, Mike, I appreciate yeah, it. I was going to say back to, uh, back to the study grind for you after uh, taking a little break to do this podcast, but yeah, thanks for coming on. We'll, we'll definitely have to do another NBA podcast. Uh, definitely before the playoffs and then, you know, throughout the playoffs, hopefully we can get some done uh, talk. All things NBA is always fun. Always trade deadline always is a big source of intrigue. So it'll be exciting to see uh, what happens post deadline, post all-star break. Um, obviously we're heading into the all-star break next weekend. So yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, hope to have you on again soon. Thanks Mike. Cheers. All right. Listeners. Thank you all uh, for making it if you did. And uh, we'll catch you all on the next episode. Peace out.